Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 89 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online. In this week's episode, we talk about Syracuse's 28-13 win over Pittsburgh, snapping a five-game losing streak what it means for the Orange for the rest of the season, including if the unique game plan that led them to that victory is sustainable for the final two games. Joining me, as always, are Sidney Suple and Josh Crawford. No Griffin Della Pena this week, but he will return next time. The last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season. With MLB postseason, NFL and college football, and NHL in full swing, Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport, anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Well, guys, we said last week we have to stop meeting like this after five straight Syracuse football losses. And guess what? We're not meeting like that anymore. Syracuse football won a game. How about that? And in the most unexpected, strange way that I can remember seeing Syracuse football win a game they had the quarterback who started last week was unavailable the quarterback who had been starting the whole season seemed incapable of throwing a pass more than about three to four yards and even then that was you know not an easy task for him uh to to complete and yet all Syracuse did was run for over 380 yards against one of the better run defenses in the ACC and win 28-13 to 13 against a rival it had only beaten three times in the past two decades uh, prior to that, and it lost nine of the last ten. So quite a, a turnaround there for Syracuse. We're going to start right with that weird offensive game plan where Dan Valari lined up as the quarterback more often than anyone else, and he ran for 150 yards and a touchdown. LaQuint Allen ran for over 100 yards. Garrett Schrader did return and start, ran for 90-plus yards and a score himself, but only attempted two passes. The team only attempted, I think, seven or eight as as uh, a team in total. Um, I don't know what that was. It was interesting, but just your reaction to whatever that offensive game plan was. We'll start with you, Sydney. I mean, I think you forgot the craziest thing of all was when your quarterback lined up as a wide receiver and then did a backflip like it was no big deal. So that in itself just showed how strange this game was. You know, I was in the the press box media area with everyone, and I think everyone's looking at each other like, is this really happening? Is And more so, is this really working? But it was very interesting after the game, Coach Babers went on this whole tangent about how, you know, if you're 
a younger kid and your parent has a job that causes you to move around, eventually you're like, I don't want to leave my friends. Like, I just want to stay here. But what do you end up doing is you end up getting in the car because that's your family and you stick with your family through all of the transition and the craziness. You trust your family. Basically, that was the speech he gave the team because when they brought this new offensive scheme, there was a lot of hesitations and a lot of question marks. Well, eventually, everyone did just like this scenario of this is our family. We're going to get in the car and we're going to buy in. And Babers credited the win right away to everyone who bought into the scheme because you truly had to. You know, if you're Dan Valari, he had to take so many extra phone calls with Babers to understand how to do play calls, which most of them were wildcat. But, you know, he did have a few. He had one passes, which we should bring up. There was only four complete passes on the night. And Valari had one of them. And he had more passing yards than Schrader did, which is absolutely bananas to me. But this crazy concept worked because they all bought into it. So if anything, it shows that when you all buy into a plan and you have someone as athletic as Dan Valari, who had easily his career breakout game in front of the 75 family members that were there at Yankee Stadium, I guess it worked. Yeah, and so it's it's funny that he mentioned the moving thing because uh, I literally did that a little over a year ago. Um, my wife, my son, and I moved from um, one spot in central New York to another spot in central New York. We changed school districts for my son. He had to leave all of his friends. And what, now, you know, he's only in, in second grade at the time, you know, so it's, it's not like, uh, you know, he was in middle school, high school, and been with the same people for several years. But even still, in the middle of a school year, had to leave all of the friends that he had seen every day for a few months and had seen the previous year and change schools. So that analogy, actually, when I heard him say that in the postgame press conference, as I watched it back after the fact, um, you know, that that hit home with me because I literally experienced that very recently. But then for everyone to buy in, for the coaching staff to come up with this plan. I know there's been a lot of talk about Dino Babers and his job security and, and all of that. I don't, I don't think this is a week where, where you can really go there because this showed a few things. One, it shows there's some creativity on this coaching staff to come up with this. And sometimes you have to out of necessity, but also if they didn't have the right kind of culture, I don't think there's complete buy-in and you don't see the performance that you did on Saturday. So regardless of what ends up happening with Dino Babers, uh, I think this is a feather in his cap. And and I think something they're all going to remember and especially the wide receivers, you know, give them a shout out for basically being told, Hey, you're not going to catch a pass. We're not even going to throw them at you in this game, but we still expect you to go out and block your butts off for, for three hours and, and try to help us win a game. And they did that and they didn't complain. And, uh, you know, shout out to them. The performance of the offensive line was unbelievable. 380 yards is ridiculous. It was, you know, that was uh, uh, good for them to to get all of that negativity, that that cloud of negativity um, off of them, at least for a week. Josh, your reaction to the offensive game plan and, and the execution thereof? Uh, offensive game plan, necessity, if nothing else, when you have a, a this team is looking right at the, the right in the face of a Luke McPhail start, which isn't optimal for any type of, you know, productive offense. No. But um, kind of leaning into your point of, um, team buy-in or really still believing in uh, Babers after that performance against Virginia Tech would have looked completely opposite. And you had your starting quarterback available for that game. So for this game plan, I 
I saw it. I think implemented to be impl- to be introduced on a Tuesday, implemented on a Wednesday, to not have a lot of uh, r- uh, runway time for that, and to still be able um, to have as much success against, like you said, a defense that has been good against the run this far. That shows like that buy in and the fact that this team hasn't quit in a very drastic reversal of ways that I would have wouldn't have guessed not even seven days ago after losing to BC. So I think, um, like I said, they, I guess the game plan was just necessity based. I don't read too much into that. We'll get get, get into that a little later about the sustainability of that. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is for that this offensive line A was able to push around people for the first time in a long time. But also B, this is still a team that's play, that believes in their coach and what he says. And I I wouldn't have said that was the case less than two weeks ago. No, I, I that was a legitimate question after the Virginia Tech game because when you come out that flat after a bye, knowing how important that game was, right? We talked about the importance of that game and is this season is at a crossroad. It seems like we've said that the last three weeks, right? Um, and the fact that they came out that flat against Virginia Tech or seemingly that flat, two penalties in the first two plays after a bye and, and all that. Yeah, there were a lot of questions about has Dino lost the locker room? And I think what we've seen in the Boston College game, even though they didn't win that game, but obviously that, you know, the effort was there. And then what you saw this week is the fact that, no, he has not lost the locker room. And regardless of what ends up happening with him, um, you know, that's that's certainly a, a positive for them, for the team and and all of that. But to your point, the sustainability of this system, this kind of ties into, you know, another another topic that I want to talk to. We're going to kind of bundle them together here. But the quarterback situation with Garrett Schrader, the offensive game plan that they had to implement against Pittsburgh, uh, if Schrader is starting but is unable to throw, then how sustainable is this type of an offense as you go through the last two games in order to try to get one of those last two and make a bowl game, you would figure if they do make a bowl game, there'd be enough time that perhaps, you know, Schrader can heal up and be able to actually throw the ball for that bowl game. But if, if uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson is unable to go and Schrader can't throw the ball and your only other option is Luke McPhail, because for whatever reason, they don't feel like uh, they're ready to turn to Braden Davis. Mm -hmm. Then is this offensive game plan sustainable? Can you win one more game with this uh, game plan as your offensive philosophy. Sydney, we'll start with you. I don't believe so. And, you know, that's hard. And and that's not saying I don't think they're going to win one of these next two games because those are two different questions in my hand. I, you know, Valari said he believes that if they have the same game plan that he can help bring his team to another win. And I do think there's a way to make sure he's more of a factor I mean, a tight end acting as a quarterback somehow walked away with ACC running back of the week, which just is quite the story. Clearly, he's somebody you need to implement in your game plan more, and I think there's going to be more opportunities for him to rush the ball because we saw that he's so dominant, you know, towards, like you said, one of the best defenses primarily in the ACC um, before this weekend in terms of rushing but I don't think you're going to fool as many people as you did with him acting as the quarterback again. I think you're going to have Georgia tech and wake forest are both going to game plan for it. And it definitely worked this weekend because you caught Pitt in a different strategy and they didn't game plan for that. But bottom line is now your next two opponents have seen it and will have a plan on how to attack it. So I think the creativity won them a win, but it's not enough for another win they can use aspects of Valari, but you can't have the same scheme. And I 
for the quarterback situation, I think it's very alarming, you know, as much as Babers wants to say that this didn't come from Schrader's health, it definitely played a part in it because you're not running the ball that many times if you have a quarterback who is like Schrader and when he's at his prime is very talented. It's a mix between Schrader and honestly, it's the wide receivers who we just haven't seen a ton out of lately. I think it's a mix of both. And both of those areas need to be addressed and whatever Strader has, if it doesn't get healed, Syracuse is going to hurt next weekend offensively. Josh, your thoughts on the sustainability of this offense and, and uh, including how the quarterback situation plays into it. Uh, Sydney hit one of my points right on the head, especially with the controversy. Well, I think that was, you see it on the case talking about Strader was in Jersey warming up what two hours before the game. So even up until, Game day, out for the game. Pitt had really no idea about who the starting quarterback was and who was gonna, what the game plan was going to be. And we both know, you know, game plan, game planning and preparation via film is everything in terms of preparing for an opponent. So, like she said, Georgia Tech and Wake Forest will have this 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 day to be able to say, like, okay, if Strader isn't healthy, we can we can we can be pretty sure that this is what they're going to try to go to. Um, so. I don't. I, I, I'm a, I'm in the same boat with her in terms of the lack of sustainability, just because of the game plan. Also, yeah. I, as much as we love Dan Villar, I don't think it's gonna be. I don't think we can just bank on him for 150 yards. You know, going forward, that will, that would be pretty insane. Not gonna lie. I guess for me, in terms of um, not accommodation, changing of the game plan. He is a former quarterback, so I guess it doesn't take throwing the ball completely off the table. But we was there watching the game together, Mike. It was. Honestly, kind of shocking how bad it was on some of the few pass attempts that he had down the field, considering that he was just a quarterback a year ago. So that was um, I said, pretty concerning. But even, like I said, there was downfield passes, down a lot of scrimmage. I do think a way that we could, like Sydney said, incorporate some of those aspects of what Dan did and change it is, you know, getting LeQuint more involved. A is a guy to take some some direct snaps, but also a guy that we, you know, you know, do throw some bubble screen to and take some stuff out of the backfield too. So I think that that, a, that would, would just take a lot of the pressure off Dan and try to do everything like he had to do in the pit game, but also incorporate some of your best playmakers outside of Garrett Schrader um, into the mix. So, but yeah, in the way that they just won against Pitt, uh, not sustainable. So it's, I would definitely go in that boat, but it's, it's just, there's so much that's up in the air. Like we did forget, oh, we haven't mentioned so far. Gary Schrader did throw a touchdown pass in this game with a bump shoulder. So it's yeah. is he completely hurt? Like I said, we've seen a we've seen a situation before where he finished the he finished the previous game and had an injury the next game. So but he the the thing that appeared to be most hurt, he still was able to use to put points on the board for us. And he still had what 18 carries. So I don't know if you're putting a guy at that much of risk, especially the quarterback, if you don't think he's at least above like 75%. So yeah, the the way this offense was constructed in the pit game, I would not say sustainable, but there are some adjustments I can see being made within the same realm that uh could, could at very least get us a split in these last two. Yeah, the the film part is the the thing that I wanted to hit on, which is it's one thing to catch pit by surprise with that type of system because then they have to adjust to it on the fly. That's a lot more difficult than having a week to prepare for it. Now, the the thing in Syracuse's favor is that of the three teams they had left to finish the schedule with, they just played against the best run defense of the three. So, and Georgia tech coming up this week is the worst of the three. Now the counter to that is Pitt's offense has been bad all year. So Syracuse could run that offense and go through some growing pains with it in the first few possessions and still 
be in the game. You do that against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's liable to put up 17 points on you before you can blink. Uh, now, Wake Forest's offense is pretty poor, so you could be in a similar situation. But I don't think the Syracuse can go forward and just run the exact same thing. They're going to have to do some different things off of it to try to catch the, the remaining two teams off guard a little bit. Um, you have to be able to throw the ball in some capacity. You can't just be the only time you're going to be able to throw the ball is doing a play action and throwing it for two yards. That I mean, that that can't be your only way to throw the ball because you're you're going to get in a situation where it's going to be third and 10, third and 15, something like that, where you're going to have to be able to complete a pass. And Dan Valari running up the middle for 12 yards on a third and 11 is not something that is a sustainable third down offense. So I think they're going to have to do some things, whether it's Valari throwing the ball as kind of a traditional quarterback, whether it's bringing in a Luke McPhail on a third and 10 and just saying, Hey, be a regular quarterback on this play. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but something has to be done because I, I don't think that you can, you know, this might work for a game, it's not something that's sustainable for the long term. The good news is at the worst case scenario is that it has to be sustainable for only a couple of games, two or three games, right? It doesn't have to be sustainable for nine or 10. That's that's the positive of it. So can it be sustainable for just a couple of games? Maybe, but you know that they've got to do some different things off of it, I think. Um, and, and so it's not exactly the same in, in order to try to keep those teams off guard and not just load the box up with nine or 10 players and, and, you know, try to force you to pass the ball. But part of the reason and that Mike, this game... You brought up, you brought up a, a name that, honestly, I had completely forgot about it, and Braden Davis, and, and you, you'll probably be a little bit more knowledgeable about me than this, more knowledgeable about this than me or Sydney. But, yeah, is that is that like a complete lack of confidence in terms of him being out there? Is he behind McPhail on the depth chart? Because they, that was, this is a guy that, like Carlos, came in, transferred in from an SEC program, and if you were going to use him, and this would have been the game to use him, so... What did I guess do you have any insight on what the reason why behind he seemingly is a, a no no contest, no show for this? Not not specific, but to your to your point about coming in from the SEC, you know, I the conversation going into the season was that Syracuse has three former four-star recruits, all of which you know, two of which went to the AC or to the SEC, one of which went to the big or I'm I'm sorry. Um yeah, all three of which went to the SEC, right? And Carlos Dorio Wilson, Garrett Schrader, and Braden Davis, uh, so South Carolina, Florida, and Mississippi State. So you had three former four-star recruits that signed with SEC programs in your quarterback room, and you felt pretty good about that. And yet when two of those guys go down, the third of those isn't the next guy in line. Now, there could be some things going on. Perhaps his knowledge of the playbook isn't to the point where they feel like they can trust him and throw him out there. Perhaps he's also dealing with some injuries that, you know, they haven't disclosed and no one has asked about. And, you know, because you're not going to go into a press conference and say, hey, coach, how is your uh, third or fourth string quarterback? What's his injury status? You know, that's not something that's typically asked. So he could be dealing with some lingering stuff and they just think it's in his best interest to not throw him out there in a situation where he's A, not ready and or B, um, you know, not fully healthy. So I don't have any specifics as far as why that's the case. I just know that if uh, they were in a situation against Pitt where Garrett Schrader got hurt to the point where he couldn't play, that Luke McPhail would have been the quarterbacks with Carlos unavailable. So that tells you that there's something going on with Braden Davis. We just don't have the direct insight there. But I would think in the case that Luke McPhail goes out there and he gets hurt, 
I would think you'd have to throw him out unless at that point you're just basically telling Dan Valari, all right, you're now quarterback. So I, that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch in this game is if they get into a third and 12 or they get into a two-minute offense situation, right? What if they're down 24-21, they get the ball at their own 14-yard line, and there's a minute 12 to go, and they've got one timeout? You can't run this offense to try to get yourself in field goal range to tie the game. So do you bring out Luke McPhail and just run your normal offense at that point? And that that's going to be a real interesting, interesting thing to watch. Sydney, you had a thought. Nope. Well, I, I completely agree with you in terms of like the two minute offense. I think you're going to see what they did with Schrader in some ways where they're going to protect him and put him in situations that they know he can handle, but the situations that quite frankly, not that he can't, but he apparently isn't healthy enough at the moment they're going to have to have another guy ready to go. And like we said, I don't think Dan Valari can be that guy. So you're going to have to start looking into your backups. And I don't know if they'll put in, you know, Carlos again after what we saw uh, with the four interceptions. Yeah, the four interceptions. And then he was limping around and we don't know if he had something going on with his shoulder as well. So, you know, he could have multiple injuries. The fact that he didn't even travel with the team tells me he's got something yeah. uh, significant going on. So hopefully you know, regardless of anything else, he can he can uh, come back healthy sooner rather than later. Um, but part of the reason that this game plan worked as well as it did was the physicality of the offensive line and, and how well they blocked. And this has been a much maligned group all season, right? We've talked about it week in and week out about how they've struggled in pass protection. It hasn't, they haven't performed very well, struggled to open up holes for, for LaQuint Allen. And in this game, they opened up holes for everybody. They were flat out. They flat out dominated Pittsburgh's defense front. I mean, it wasn't even competitive. They were just, they were the better group. They wanted it more. They dominated those guys and credit to them. I don't know what got into them, but it, it kind of begs the question to me, should they have been a power running team all season? Even when Garrett Schrader was healthy, right? You know, I've, I've wondered that a little bit after seeing that, but um We'll go to you, Josh, your thoughts on the physicality of the offensive line and, um, you know, what that potentially means for the rest of the season. And if perhaps they should have been leaning on that a little bit more earlier in the season. Um, I guess I think for me, obviously coming in with Quint Allen being like the Bills have back, he's not a guy, just proportionally speaking, not super, not designed to be a guy that runs a, a ton between the tackles. A, just what he, again, what his body type and be, what he, where he's at best in space. So I feel like a, a true power running game wouldn't have been the best utilization of his skills, although we've seen him do some pretty good stuff down on the goal line. But um, I don't know. And we talked about it on wax, off wax last uh, Saturday, Mike. The stuff that Pat Narduzzi said about this program, I just can't emphasize enough how demoralizing that is to being a player on a team and how little the faith is. And I think we talk about the offensive and defensive lines. That's um that's where that pure self-belief and willpower comes out. That literally the, the goal of offensive linemen is to literally detach a person from a space that they had claimed is theirs. And we have a we have a coach that not only doesn't believe in you doing that, but says so publicly, that just makes that job that much harder. So I think that that with that, that that really factored in probably into the, the D-line more than other positions. But also, you know, like kind of what we're going to say with, um, with Wake Forest potentially them playing Georgia, the team doesn't really have anything to play for. So it wasn't like they, the engine were super revved up or that they had a – you know, they were fighting for bowl eligibility. They're, even at two wins, they were going to be mostly out of the picture. So there were some improvements from the offensive line. A guy like Joe Cruz has kind of been steadily building, had a really good game. Um, so I think it was just a combination of Pitt being down on themselves and like we mentioned earlier, 
this uh this Syracuse O line and this team really fighting back and showing some grit in a way that like I said I didn't see that they would have you know one or two weeks ago. Yeah, the the mental aspect of this I think is important. Syracuse was the desperate team, right? And what this game meant for their season, and they they played like that. The energy and the effort from the team was was indicative of that. And Pittsburgh very much played like a team that was two and seven. Bowl eligibility was already out the window and a coach who has publicly said, my team's not any good. My players aren't very good. So the mental aspect of that, and you're going to have a similar situation with Wake Forest, as you mentioned, they have six losses right now. They play at Notre Dame this coming week. So, um, you know, you're going to get potentially most likely a team that is eliminated from bowl eligibility in your regular season finale Whereas this week you're getting a Georgia Tech team that's playing at Georgia the following week, they're sitting at five losses right now. If they lose to Syracuse, they're not going to a bowl game. They know that, so they're going to come out desperate in this game. Sydney, your thoughts on the offensive line and uh, you know what you saw from them in this game? I was really psyched about what I saw. I think Syracuse hasn't came out well after half. I think especially the O line, they've almost looked tired. And it felt like whatever that was said during halftime, there was a motivated group who was willing to do whatever it took and put their body on the line in whatever way that they could to ensure that, you know, they could help somebody gain another yard. And you saw that. And, you know, clearly even just having, you know, another ACC offensive lineman of the week, like that's a huge tip to the cap to, you know, not only Chris, but everyone working around him. And I, I think Mikey said it best in terms of, should they have always been a power rushing team? And I really saw that the more, especially Valari went up the middle time and time again, it all felt like with Allen so often everyone was trying to go, you know, back and forth between the sidelines East to West. And I was really excited just to see running up the middle, like straight old school rushing. And I think that's something that was really interested to me is when they, you know, Baber said that the coaches looked back at the game 100 years ago when Syracuse beat Pitt three to zero, which is a crazy score. How it was all running the ball and just gritty football. And this is what this reminded me of. It reminded me a lot of what everyone talks about with Big Ten, um, just running backs in terms of what Valari did. And that started with the O line making it possible. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the part of that conversation, whether they should have been more of a power running team throughout the year is I agree with Josh to his point about LaQuint Allen, and that doesn't necessarily fit his skill set. but you can mix it up a little bit, right? Like you can give the ball to LaQuint Allen on some, um, you know, outside runs and some tosses and some screens and things like that. But then you can also mix in a little Juwan Price and have him run up the middle. You could have had Garrett Schrader doing some of that some of that stuff um you know so there's there's options where you could have used multiple backs i think there to not necessarily switch to this type of an offense like full time but you could have had some more elements in there perhaps throughout the season to help out the offensive line especially as it struggled um at different points so we'll end the show on this which is syracuse has two games left as we mentioned they've got georgia tech on the road this saturday eight o'clock primetime game on ACC network. And then the following week they play wake forest back in the dome for the regular season finale time on that game has yet to be announced. 
Syracuse needs one of the two of them, at least one of them, to get to bowl eligibility, and perhaps, along with it, Dino Baber's job. Do they get there? We'll start with you, Sydney. Does Syracuse win one of its final two games and get to bowl eligibility? I think they absolutely do. But I don't think it's this week. And I think that obviously very nerve wracking. You're going home and basically playing for another game, playing for your seniors in your fifth years to have another game in their college career. Some people, their last football game they're ever going to play. But I think Georgia Tech's a strong team, and I would love to be proven wrong. I would love for Syracuse to secure a bowl game this weekend, but just with matchups and still a lot of question marks around the offense. Yes, the creativity works, but I, I'm worried that we're going to maybe stick with it a little too long and get burned with it and then have to revamp once again and find something that really works when they're back at home. But I say that hoping to be proven wrong, but without a doubt, I do think they finish with bowl eligibility. Josh, your thoughts? Sydney you knows what you're talking about. I'm going to stand right beside you, feel what I'm saying? Uh, Hans King is probably one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. He's probably one of the best that we face. Georgia Tech he's, he's really good. You know, there's a reason why he was a high fourth star guy at, at Texas A&M originally. Um, so, like I said, more talented team. Like you said, a team that's going to probably will be fighting for ball eligibility to come out with a, a chip on their shoulder. So, I don't think that we'll get into that one. But that that Wake Forest game, back in the dome, and like Sydney said, you having your fifth-year seniors knowing that they're literally fighting for playing extra games in their college career. And if you evaluate Wake Forest's season, Wake Forest's season uh, Mason Gris hasn't been the guy they probably expected coming behind San Hartman. And I would put us as a more talented team than them. So my uh, my least favorite bowl outcome, six and six and uh, decidedly limping into bowl season is what I see. And uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Sid Key, go with a loss this week, win next week, six and six. Yeah, I, to to be extremely boring, I agree with both of you guys uh, in in how that's going to play out. Now, the the interesting thing is this this kind of reminded me a little bit of 2013 Syracuse football in that they they played against uh, they were one game away from bowl eligibility. It was Scott Schaefer's first year, and they played against Pittsburgh in their second to last game of the season and lost by a point. And then in their regular season finale finale, they played against Boston college in the dome with that bowl eligibility on the line. And they ended up winning 34 to 31. Now the difference here is that that Boston college team, they didn't have anything to play for in that they already had reached bowl eligibility. Whereas the wake forest team you're going to be playing is going to be eliminated from bowl eligibility, but that Boston college team still wanted to win another game, uh, you know, potentially get to eight wins, um, have a, a strong season. And then of course beat a rival in Syracuse, but the desperation was certainly on Syracuse's side there. You're going to have that again in this one where Syracuse is certainly going to be the more desperate team that's playing for a lot more. And they're going to be at home and Wake Forest has been just anemic offensively. So I'm not sure they'll be able to score enough against the Syracuse defense that we haven't even talked about at all, but they forced four turnovers against Pittsburgh and they've been really good the last couple of weeks and they're going to be going up against an offense that is much worse than the pit team that they just dominated offensively. So uh, I think Syracuse is going to beat Wake Forest, get to six and six, get to a bowl game, and then we'll see what uh, John Wildack decides to do with uh, with Dino Babers if six and six is enough uh, for him to keep his job. I, I ultimately think that it will be, 
and that he'll he'll get a contract extension and uh, remain as the head coach of Syracuse football. But that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. For Sydney and Josh, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.